All right, well, thank you for being here, and thank you for being faithful to uh, be in God's house and keep learning as we start to enjoy this great summer weather. That is our heart and prayer for you, is to keep spiritually engaged and just to help you continue to grow spiritually through the summer. Well, today I want to talk with you about those times in life when you lose your joy or you lose your perspective. I don't know if anyone in here can relate to this, but sometimes I'll have a week or a day or a season where uh, it's not that I'm going through a crisis, but I just kind of lose my joy or I lose my perspective. And that's actually how this last week was for me. Uh, things at the church are going well, my family's healthy, intellectually things seem fine, but emotionally, for whatever reason, I was just a little deflated, I was a little discouraged, and I felt myself starting to focus in and hone in on those negative things that are going on in my life instead of the good things, and whenever that happens, my attitude starts to kind of uh, get lower and lower and lower. I don't know if that happens to anyone else ever, but... That happens to me sometimes. And so the question we're asking today is this. When difficulties press in on you, whether they're major crises or just a time like I described where you just feel yourself losing your perspective and your joy, how do you restore your joy? And how can you recover your perspective? So I want to share with you a story from my life this last week. I was actually driving on my day off and I had my youngest in her car seat right behind me in our second row. And I was praying about this because I was wrestling through just some of these feelings of discouragement or being deflated and knowing that I shouldn't be feeling this way, but why am I God? And please re restore my joy and uh, help me to recover perspective of your view of things. And um, she was back there, and for some reason, I had decided to put her in the very middle of the second row instead of on the side, and she kept reaching for my hand, so I was kind of holding her hand, and I was praying and asking God to do this for me, and he did in a really neat way that I want to share with you. And what happened is, as I was saying, God, please restore my joy, and please just give me again your perspective about life, I looked back there at her, and I had this flashback. I had this mental flashback to almost exactly one year earlier. You see, a year ago, Evie, our youngest, had only been in the United States for about two months. She was born in Haiti and had lived in Haiti until we adopted her. And a year ago, a, a day I'll never forget because it was a really emotional situation for Evie, I had her in that same seat in the middle of the second row and my other two kids were back there, and we were out doing some errands. We lived in the Bay Area of California, and we had to drive through San Francisco City. Now, if you've ever driven through San Francisco, you know that there are a lot of steep ups and downs. Well, Evie, being born in Haiti, had not really been in a car seat for much of her life. And so, at this point, she'd only been in a car seat ever for about two months. And because the seat was in the middle... Every time we would go down one of these steep hills, she could see out the windshield. And poor thing, she felt like she was on a roller coaster. And so every time we'd go down one of these hills, she would start screaming. And at first, Jack and Zoe kind of thought it was funny, but then it got worse and worse. And it's like she was afraid for her life. She literally thought she was going to die every time we went down one of these hills. And if you're a parent, you know the difference between the different cries that the kids do. You know when they're kind of whining or throwing a fit because they didn't get their way. And you know when they're legitimately scared for their lives. 
And it was just this heartbreaking trip through that city because every couple hills, I would literally have to pull the car over, which is hard in that city, and find a place to stop and get Evie out and just hold her and calm her down. It would take about 10 minutes to finally get her calm. And then I'd put her back in and we'd do a couple more hills and it would start back up. I actually was texting my wife some pictures as that was happening because I was trying to describe what was happening with Evie and I'll take you with me back to a year ago. So here's a view when we're stopped at one of the intersections and you can see starting the downhill and Evie would kind of calm down when we'd be stopped and then as soon as we would start again, she'd start to panic again. And to her credit, she's looking out the front, it looks like we're falling and on the sides of us is all this traffic. Here's a view of the kind of the traffic that you're driving through. There's trolley cars a foot away and there's other cars and there's pedestrians and everything's busy and everything for Evie was new and completely overwhelming. At one point when Evie calmed down and she wasn't crying like her life was going to end, I turned around and I took a picture. And if you kind of zoom in on her face in this picture, you can see just kind of the survival mode that she was in. I wasn't mean enough. I didn't, you know, we'd only had her for two months to take a picture while she was crying, okay? And so this is, I mean, but you can see it in her expression. She's literally, she's holding on to that seat like she thinks she's holding on for dear life. And you can see the expression in her face. So this last week, as I'm feeling like I'm going through some ups and downs in life, and I'm asking God to give me perspective, I look back to Evie, and God just reminded me of this moment. Because here's what Evie looked like on that day, on my day off when I was praying, and I looked back at her. And the Holy Spirit, as I prayed and said, God, will you recover my joy? Will you restore my perspective? He just reminded me in one year how far this little girl has come and how far our family has come. And he just reminded me that he has been faithful to us one day at a time. And he reminded me that as a father, in all the ups and downs of life that are new to me and new to my family moving across the country, that he is a dad who will always stop the car for a minute and hold me and help me calm down and regain my perspective. And God gave me this moment where I was able to just thank God for his faithfulness. And as I thanked him for his faithfulness, I was able to regain my perspective and realize, you know what, one year from now, the things that I'm going through and the things that you're going through are going to be like San Francisco was for Evie a year ago. It'll be one more story in our past that, yes, it was hard, but it's one more story of God's faithfulness in and through the difficulties of life. So how do we restore our joy? Well, I want to take you to an answer from a man of God who's writing from a prison cell. Paul the Apostle was imprisoned for telling people about Jesus. And here's what he writes in Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. Paul writes, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now, I just want to pause and think about how significant this is. Because Paul's in a prison... And he could be thinking about how heavy the shackles are on his wrists. He could be thinking about how mean the guards are. He could be thinking about how terrible the food is or the lack of food. He could be thinking about the fact that every time it rains, the floor gets muddy underneath his feet. 
He could be thinking about the fact that he's wrongly imprisoned. He's just trying to make the world a better place and tell people about Jesus, but he's wrongly imprisoned. He could be thinking about a lot of things, but he's choosing to think about other people. And he's choosing to think about those people who have helped him in life. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And then he says this in verse 4. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. So Paul, sitting in a prison, is one directing his thoughts to pause and reflect and think back, how has God been faithful to me? And then he's thanking God for the people God has used. He's praying for those people. And as he does this, he's filled with joy. The Spirit of God gives him joy right there in his prison. And here's a very simple takeaway that you can take for your life today. How do you recover joy? Well, you recover joy by thanking God for specific people who have helped you. Recover joy by thanking the specific people who have helped you. In fact, why don't we do a little repeat after me exercise together and take this two words at a time, okay? Recover joy. You guys can do better than this, okay? By thanking specific people. All right, you guys are getting it. We recover joy by thanking specific people. You see, this was not some generic thought exercise where Paul thought, sat down and said, I'm going to just think some generic, abstract, happy thoughts. I'm going to try to be grateful. Paul paused and he thought back on his specific life journey and he identified specific people who God had used in his life. And then he took the time to write them a thank you note. His thank you note is what we call the book of Philippians. Let's look at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. Why is it called Philippians? Well, because there was a city named Philippi. And Paul writes a thank you note to the Christians in Philippi who were known as Philippians. And that's why we call this book of the Bible Philippians. And it says this letter is from Paul and Timothy. Slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, slaves, that's a Greek word, doulos. Sometimes it's translated servants. This is a term that Paul chose for himself. Uh, Jesus never called Paul this, but Paul willingly said, I am a servant to the point of willfully giving up all my rights to what Christ is doing on earth. And as negative as a term as that might seem to us, for Paul in this moment, it was a positive term. Because you see what he's doing is he's taking control of his situation. He's not sitting in the prison cell thinking, oh, I'm a victim. I'm here because the Roman government is unjust to me. I can't control anything in my life. He looks at his situation. He says, I'm here because I've chosen to be a servant of Jesus no matter the consequences in this life. I have a faith in Jesus that goes beyond this life. And whatever I have to go through in this life, I know that God will work all things for good. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 8, and it's actually this same guy, Paul, who wrote that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And Paul knew that even being in prison, while that was not sent from God, if he would continue to turn to God and say, God, I will serve you, that God would work it for good. And God did work it for good. 
Later on, as you go through this letter of Philippians, this long thank you note, Paul's going to say, he, he has this perspective that God gives him. He says, well, because I'm in prison, I get to tell the prison guards about Jesus. And because I'm in prison, other Christians are getting more bold to go out and talk about Jesus and not be afraid of getting arrested. And because I'm in prison, I get to sit here and write letters to all the churches that I know and encourage them. And because Paul was in prison, we now have a large portion of the New Testament. Paul didn't know how God was going to work it for good, but he trusted that God would. And he said, I'm writing to all of you, all of God's holy people in Philippi, who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. And he says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and give you peace. And then Paul says, the verses we looked at, every time I think of you, so I pause and I think of you, in those moments I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you've been my partners, verse 5, in spreading the good news about Christ. And this is notable because what Paul's doing now is he's saying, here's why I'm thankful for you. I'm pausing to think, I'm giving thanks, I'm identifying the people, and I'm identifying what the people have done. People of Philippi, it's because of you that other people know about Jesus. And I'm just thankful for our partnership in the good news or gospel of Christ from the first time you heard until now. And then Paul has this great faith, the same faith that he had when he wrote Romans 8, that all things work together for good. He says in verse 6, I am certain, I'm confident that God, who began the good work within you, he will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. In other words, Paul lived daily, whether he was in prison, whether he was on trial, whether he was out in freedom and enjoying a nice meal, he lived every day knowing that for the believer in Christ, our ultimate hope is that day when we will see Jesus face to face. And we will open our eyes and we'll either see Jesus descending through the clouds or we'll wake up above the clouds and we will see our creator face to face. We will be completely united with him in a place where there will be no tears, no pain, no conflict, no problems, no worries for all of eternity. And Paul says to these Christians, as I thank God for you, and as I reflect on how you've helped me, I'm confident that the same God who started working in your life, he's going to be faithful to keep working in your life right up until that moment that you see him face to face. So what are we learning? Well, very simply, I can recover joy by thanking people who have helped me. There's more in Philippians, there's more in just those verses we looked at, but this is a principle that you can take today to recover your joy and restore your perspective. Very simply, thank the people who have helped you. Thank them knowing that every good and perfect gift comes ultimately from God, but identify the people through whom God has provided for you, through whom God has encouraged you. So let's look, number one, at who to thank. Who to thank? Well, we see from Paul's examples, we think individuals who've given you specific help in your life. Now, I want to encourage you to think a little less churchy here. This may be people who don't know Christ. This may be totally non-churched people who pick up your garbage every week. Or a neighbor who has helped you out with a project or 
who came over when you were in need or as school years wrapping up a teacher who's been a good teacher to one of your kids or grandkids or maybe that bus driver who's there every school morning to pick your kids or grandkids up and then think of those individuals who've partnered with you in your spiritual growth those people who invited you to church or who helped you understand that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus it's not some religious churchy thing that you can actually know God talk to God and hear his heart and his word and right now I want to encourage you with a pen or paper or on your phone I want to encourage you to write down the names of three people who've helped you so who has helped you Write down three names, and if you don't do this, you're going to feel left out in just a minute as we continue to move through our service, because we're actually going to start thanking people during this service. But I want to encourage you right now, just think of two or three people who've helped you. It could be something, it could be a barista that you see every, every week or every morning when you get coffee at a certain place. You know, it could be someone who's paid to do what they do, but you, you can tell in their smile and in their attitude, they're not just doing it because it's a job. And you're thankful for them. So this first category we're thinking of, you don't have to stress yourself out about being too deep here. Just think about your life on a weekly or daily basis. Who's helped you? And here's a few ideas. It might be a school teacher or a child care provider. It might be a waiter or waitress. Maybe you've got a place where you consistently have breakfast or dinner once or twice a week and there's a waiter or waitress there that you see them regularly. Uh, maybe it's a helpful neighbor or relative. Maybe you had some time when your basement was flooding and you ran over to the neighbor's house and they had an extra sump pump and they came over and helped you. Maybe it's a healthcare provider. Maybe you have a physician or some kind of healthcare provider that you see on a regular basis. As you are starting to think of some names I want to give you some additional motivation so be jotting those names down because we're about to start writing thank you cards together in here okay be jotting those names down and as you jot those names down I want to tell you about an article I found in the Harvard Medical School Journal this is in their letter of mental health and one of their writers compiled a bunch of research on gratitude and this is research done by a number of university researchers around the country and here's what two professors uh, of psychology found in a research study that they did. They took three groups of people and they gave the three groups of people this project. For 10 weeks, we want you to journal every day just a few lines. Group one, they said every day we want you to write a few lines about what aggravates you, what has aggravated you today. Group two, every day we want you to write a few lines about what you're grateful for today. Group three, every day we want you to write a few lines about whatever you want. So after 10 weeks, here's what they found. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude every day were more optimistic. And they felt better about their lives, measurably better. Surprisingly, the group that wrote about gratitude also exercised more, had fewer visits to physicians, and focused less on their aggravation than the group that was writing about what upset them every day now that's actually not that surprising but then we think of our lives and usually those times when we lose our perspective we lose our joy what has happened we're talking about what aggravates us we're thinking about what aggravates us we're up at night because all day we've been thinking about what aggravates us and we lose our perspective and our joy 
I just, I love it when scientific studies from our lifetime support these 2,000-year-old principles that Paul, sitting in a prison cell, as a man of God, led by the Spirit of God, knows, for me to have joy in this prison, I need to think of others, I need to pause and reflect and be grateful, and write them a thank you note, and give thanks to God. This article, as it goes on, says, so some good ways to do this are to write a thank you note and to pray. The article even says to pray. There's a separate study from a different researcher named Dr. Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania. And Dr. Seligman tried 411 different, quote, psychological interventions. So what this is, is they have these different groups of people and they measured their, quote, happiness. They had a happiness measure. And what they did is they gave different psychological interventions, meaning you guys watch this video, you guys listen to this audio, you guys say these things out loud. And one of the groups, it was you write a personal thank you note to someone who has never been thanked properly for their kindness and then hand deliver that note. And out of the 411 groups, they found um, this. Participants immediately exhibited a huge increase in their happiness scores. The group that wrote the thank you notes and hand delivered them. Huge increase in their happiness scores. And I'm quoting from this uh, medical journal article, quote, this impact was greater than that of any other intervention they tried and the benefits lasted for an entire month. So the people who took the time to sit down, think of someone who had helped them in life, I never really properly thanked that person wrote out their thanks, hand-delivered it. They had a measurable jump in their happiness score, and that jump didn't just last a day or two. It lasted a month. So always interesting when modern science backs up the Word of God. So step two, how do we thank these people that we've been identifying? Well, we see in Paul's example that we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray, God, will you continue to bless that person, whether they know Christ or not, whether they're a believer or not, God, bless them. Help them to know your presence. Help them to become closer in relationship to you. Secondly, I'm going to thank God, specifically, God, thank you for putting that person in my life. Thank you for how they took care of me or how they take care of me on a regular basis. And then third, Paul wrote a letter. And so we're going to take a little bit of time today to write a letter. So if you're at the end of an aisle, underneath your seat, you'll see a basket. And in that basket, we have these week of gratitude thank you cards. And we have more than enough for you to take three of these. And you can pass these down. And there's pens in the basket as well. So if you're thinking, well, I don't have a pen or a pencil, you are without excuse. We have pens for you, okay? We are doing this for your own good, all right? Okay, so grab three week of gratitude thank you cards. Grab yourself a pen. And I'll give you a few directions here about how we can actually apply what God is teaching us this very moment. If you look in your sermon notes, you'll see a template of how to write a thank you card. But I'll put a few bullet points on the screen here. And the first is to thank God for the person by name. Hopefully you've identified two or three people or maybe you've got more on your list. But the first step is just... God, thank you for the person. You know, thank you for Susie who watches Evie whenever I drop her off uh, for childcare at the gym while I exercise. Thank you 
for how great of a job Susie does taking care of Evie. Evie always loves going in there. And I get to get good exercise and Evie enjoys it. God, will you bless Susie today? Secondly, when you start to write your note, describe what the person has done for you. So, dear Susie, thanks for taking such good care of Evie whenever I come to the gym. She loves seeing you. She looks forward to it every time. And then describe that you are thanking God for that person and praying for them. When I was a journalist, I worked with very atheistic, agnostic co-workers who did not believe in God. They were the least religious people, anti-religious people, most anti-religious people you could find. They were never offended if I said, I'm thanking God for you today and I'm praying for you today. Okay, so you can write that in there. Dear Susie, thanks for taking such great care of Evie whenever I come in. She always looks forward to it. I can tell you really put in extra effort and I'm thankful for you. And today I'm thanking God for you today. And I'm praying for you today. And that's it. That's a, that's a thank you note. It doesn't have to be eloquent. You're not going for a Pulitzer here. It doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to be a poem. It's just short and sweet and it's from the heart. So I'm going to give you a little bit of time right now to get your first two or three written. You've got a pen. You've got your two or three. And I'll, I'll be writing a couple up here while we take a few minutes. All right. I hope you feel your perspective and your joy starting to rebirth themselves the power of pausing and thinking back on God's faithfulness and thanking the people God has used in his faithfulness and praying for them and physically writing to them I want to encourage you if you can afford it to put some gift cards in these thank you notes uh, whether it's a little gift card to Starbucks or a Visa debit card or whatever else, something within your budget of whatever you can afford right now that says to that person, I'm genuinely thankful for what you've done. And I want to help you now to take this one level deeper and to get some deeper benefits. And I want to ask you this, who's just one person who has positively impacted your life in an unforgettable way. So we've thought of those who help us regularly, and maybe you've already gone here, but if you haven't yet, who's one person, one specific individual who has helped you by, maybe they introduced you to Christ, maybe they invited you to church, maybe it's a person who positively helped you at a key moment in your life. And we're not going to take another five minutes to write the cards because if you're like me, you might want to spend a little more time on this one. But I want to encourage you to start writing down the names of those people in that group. And where I want to encourage you as you leave, you can grab more cards out of those baskets. We also have a lot more of these Week of Gratitude cards in our lobby. Take as many as you will use. And I want to encourage you to write some of these thank you notes to that person or those people who've helped you in a life-changing way. And a little word of advice here, for those of you who are perfectionists like I am, don't get hung up on it having to be perfect. Sometimes I'll sit down on one of these and I'll start to write and I'll think, oh, but that's just not good enough. I'm not really capturing how much they affected me. And I end up never finishing it and sending it because I never think it's good enough. And the better thing I've learned to do is to say, I don't feel like I can express how grateful I am. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but I really can't put into words. And I, you just need to know how thankful I am for you. It's better for it to be short 
and have that in it than to not do it at all. So don't let perfectionism hang you up on this and take as many of these as you need on your way out of here. When I think of the people who've affected my life unforgettably, one person comes to my mind first and that's a guy named Terrence F. Moore, Terry Moore. Uh, Terry Moore is actually a hospital CEO in the area where I grew up in Michigan and Terry for whatever reason when I was in high school reached out to me and said that he believed in me. And so I grew up in a family that was a good family, uh, but a family that was not really forward thinking about my education or my future. And when it came to college, there wasn't really much thinking and there was definitely not any money for going to college. And that's, I'm not complaining about that. I had a very good childhood compared to most people in the world. But Terry Moore saw something in in me and believed in me before I believed in myself. And he said, John, I think you're destined for great things. And if you want to come work at my apple orchard, I'll pay you well. And you can use that money to help save up for your college tuition. So I would work doing manual labor on Terry Moore's apple orchard. And he paid me well. And he would just put a little extra on there. And he knew everything that I was making there, I was setting aside for my college tuition. And then when I was deciding what to study and I thought, well, one of my teachers told me I could be a writer, but I am not that good at grammar. It was Terry Moore who said, be a writer, do it. Major in journalism, you'll be good at it. And he encouraged me. And then he'd check up with the university I attended. And not all the time, but every once in a while, I would go into the finance office to make another payment on my tuition and find out that Terry Moore had already paid 2,000 or 4,000 on my tuition. And because of Terry Moore, and there was a lot of hard work as well, but because of Terry Moore, when I finished my undergrad in journalism from a family that had zero dollars set aside for me to go to college, I, I graduated without any debt and I was able to start in on a career. Terry Moore changed my life. And so every time I see him, I tell him that. And I want you to just think back in your life. It might just be a teacher who encouraged you when you thought you weren't a good student, but they said, that you were. It might be a coach, might be a great aunt or some distant relative who provided for you at a key time. Think about these people who've helped you unforgettably. And as you take the time to write those week of gratitude notes at this level, you're going to find a deeper and deeper return on your investment of one, encouraging them, two, reminding yourself that it's God, your father, who's looking out for you and providing for you. And three, there's this trail of people in your life, if you'll pause and take the time, who have helped you throughout your life. So how do we recover joy? Very simply, we recover joy by thanking the specific people who have helped us. The people in our daily lives who do the smaller things and the people in the unforgettable life-changing things are all proof that God is fighting for you, that God is providing for you, that God is protecting you and looking out for you, even in a world where things are broken and imperfect. So if you would with me now, I want to just close with a thought exercise. And if you would close your eyes, no one's looking at you, so don't feel like uh, you need to be nervous or anything. And with your eyes closed... I would like you to put your hand on your heart and get it to where you can feel that heart beating in your chest. 
And in your mind, just say thank you to your creator. Thank you for breathing life into my heart. You know, he breathed life into that heart of yours to begin it beating back when it was smaller than a dime inside of your mother's womb. And your creator has been breathing life into your heart every minute of your life. When you've been sleeping, when you've been running from God, when you've been running to God, he has been unfailingly faithful. Thank him that your heart is beating right now. And with your eyes closed, thanking your creator, I want to encourage you to think back on one time, one moment in your life when you shouldn't have made it, but God pulled you through. When I was two years old, I had a rare disease called Kawasaki disease. And I was supposed to die. But my mom loved me so much and she rallied her whole church and they all prayed. And God healed me. And as a two-year-old, my heart kept beating. Think of a moment in your life that you're grateful for. And thank your creator for it. Almighty God, we come to you now and we are grateful for you. We are grateful for the joy and the perspective that just a few verses of your scripture can inject into our lives if we just pause and take the time to actually think on what does this mean? How do I live this out? Thank you that every day your word can speak to us like this. Father, we thank you for the people who have helped us this last week. We thank you for the people who help us regularly. And Father, we thank you for the people who have helped us unforgettably. Those who met us at the hospital, those who were there in the middle of the night, those who inspired us, believed in us, encouraged us, provided for us, cried with us. Father God, I thank you for every beating heart in this room. And I thank you for the good plans that you have ahead for us. And God, we just ask you today, would you continue to restore our joy, restore our perspective as we see life as it is, that you are in control, that you are good, that you are providing for us, and that a year from now we will look back on another 365 days of your faithfulness. Help us to know gratitude today in a way that connects us to you and connects us to others. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.